Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast coming to you from beautiful Atlanta, Midtown adjacent, Kirkwood neighborhood. Metron people, would you tell the podcast people a big welcome? Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, Charles Rock God of Podcasting, for being faithful after all these years to continue to uh, crank it out. We appreciate it. Um, we're in a series uh, this month. I, I love series for the same reason that I watch Netflix streaming. There's something about when a when a uh, story is ongoing, you're able to sort of dive into it, explore it more than you would just in uh, the time it takes to do a movie. And um, so that's what these. That's why I do really appreciate series. And um, I think this one's important. That the title is uh, uh, "Things to Come: Predicting the Future by Creating Creating It." And I just speak in this atmosphere and say, "Let there be light." The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach liberty to the captives. Um, when I started this series, we I referred to. Uh, Something Jesus said in the Gospel of John where he tells his disciples uh, when he speaks of the Holy Spirit as something other than him, but really it's it's all God. It's basically him saying, when I when the physical Jesus is removed, Spirit will lead you into all truth and show you things to come. And the real point of this series is to find the balance between... Um, uh, knowing how to go with the flow and navigate things that you have no control over, but also use the power of intention and, and uh, as Abraham Lincoln said, predict the future by creating it. Um, if you remember in the movie years ago, the, the movie with uh, Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, if you remember in the opening sequence, it shows a, a feather that's floating down uh, in a breeze and the, the symbolism of that feather is the, you know, the, the fictional story of Forrest Gump was a man with a learning disability who sort of became a metaphor for the 60s and the Vietnam War and peace movement and, you know, sort of from late 50s to about mid 70s. And, um, it's got a great soundtrack if you ever uh, want to hear some music from that era. But the point of that is, you know, the Forrest Gump character uh, initiated something, made some things happen, and other things he had to, you know, that was the famous uh, line that his mother says, life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. And there is a truth to that. Can we predict the future? Yes. Uh, can we create the future? Yes. Uh, can we create all of the future? No. Uh, because you're not the only one who's here. Like I told you about the the people that I nearly ran over this morning getting here, you know they're on their own journey. They're not they're not thinking about where I'm trying to go. They're focused on theirs. And so, because your life is affected by the other people in your life, there's um it, it really is a yes and rather than an either or. Uh, 
you're not a victim of fate. Uh, I do believe you uh, control what's going to happen to you in the future. I don't think your life has an expiration date on it. That you know, if that's if that's the date you're supposed to go, that you, you'll go. That you know, you'll transition that date. I don't think that's true. For, for the very reason that so many promise this, and it will cause longevity. So the very fact that there's a the possibility of longevity means it's not locked in stone. And um, then there's a whole other theory that there's no way to prove this, but there's a whole other theory that, you know, we not only chose to come here, but we chose the life we were going to live. Like, I don't know if that's true or not. Some days I believe it. Some days I'm not so sure. There's some things I've gone through that I think, there's no way I would have chosen that. Don't tell me. Don't tell me I signed up for that. But on the on, on the other hand, it actually makes me feel very empowered to think, well, I guess I can handle this because I, I must have seen it coming somewhere and I signed up for it. And so um, I, I'm I'm agnostic on that concept. Is it is that true? Yes. And and no. And yes. And maybe. Um, but I, I don't I tell you what I don't believe is that we're creatures of predestination and there's this script that's already been written for us and that we have no control over anything and we're just, we're just, um, uh, you know, acting out the, uh, the lines that have been written for us. That, that seems very depressing to me. And what I don't understand is faith groups that believe that, like people who believe in Calvinism or, uh, even what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, I, what I always, what I'm, I've been curious and I've asked people who, uh, um, uh, adhere to those belief systems. I've said, why are you, if you believe there's just a group that's going to be saved and a group that's going to be lost, then what's the point of even, why are you knocking on doors? Why are you proselytizing? You know, if, if it's, if it's already in stone and you can't change it, then, I mean, I used to, when I used to do, I've told you all this, but when I used to do a lot of door-to-door witnessing, I got to know a lot of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses because they were out there. Like sometimes we'd, we'd be out there on the same Saturday morning. And I'm like, you guys, we're going to have to pace this thing out because you're going to knock on this door and I'm going to be there five minutes later. We're going to really tick people off, you know. <laughs> it's crazy when you're organizing the Mormons and the JWs. I'm like, I'll take this side of the road, y'all go over there. But on our off times, I would ask, especially the Jehovah's Witnesses, I would say, Let, this is what I understand. If you think there's only 144,000 people, because they've interpreted a scripture literally, literal interpretation always leads to death. Spiritual death, intellectual death. Um, but uh, I said, if, if you think there's only 144,000 slots, then why are you trying to get recruits? I would think if there's only X amount of spots available, let's keep this a secret. <laughs> you know, because anybody else I bring in is going to lessen my chances of being one of the chosen few. So, look, sh- there's only 144,000 spots. Don't say anything. Let's just, you know, play it cool and just hope against hope that's one of us. I've never talked to one that had a good answer for that. So, um, is there predestination? Yes, there's a, this is the way I like to explain it. Like, in your physical DNA, there is a, um, 
blueprint of what your physicality is supposed to be. It doesn't mean it's going to be that. Like, let's say if you're, if you're supposed to be 5'11", and you smoke for several years, you might be 5'8", even though you were predestined to be 5'11". So it's, there is a, a blueprint that says this is, this is what's, you know, this is what you're supposed to be, but you may not reach that potential. Y'all with me? <laughs> I'm very aware that, you know, when I first, a few months ago, when I first got my little scare about my heart, I immediately started walking every day and I lost 20 pounds. And when I'd be out, people were like, oh, Bishop, you look so good. We're so proud of you. Then I sort of had to put that on the shelf and deal with my shoulder stuff, which during that gained all my weight back with a few extra pounds. And you could tell when you're out now, now you're out walking and people don't say, you look so good. They're more like, there you are. <laughs> yeah, that's him. I'm like, what happened to you? You look so good. Like, well, I don't know. That was a few months ago. We love you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you know, there's a, there's how much you're supposed to weigh, what you're supposed to be. And then there's, you know, things that you do that sort of tailor make it. And, you know, there are people who weigh, 300 pounds that are really, their DNA is, they're supposed to be, you know, 180. Uh, so just because it's, just because that's in the um, physical map doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to manifest. And that really is the way your life is. There's a way that you're sort of intended to be. And it's, it's like, as I've said before, your the river of your life is fed by two streams. One is the plan of a creator, a higher power, a God who says, this is, you know, here's my plan for you. And then here's your reaction to all those things. And those two things, you know, in, in um, fabric, there's the term warp and woof. It's, it, it means it's the two different ways that the threads move to create um, substance. And that's, that's how it sort of works. Like there's something that's locked in that this is who you're supposed to be. And this is who you may be or may not be. All right. So having established that, let me show you this scripture. Uh, I taught on this before, but it, the original meaning is so different from the way people who use English translations interpret this verse. Uh, this is verse 29 through 31 in the Amplified Classic and yet to abound. Even youth wait for the Lord who expect, look for, and hope in him shall eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. Eagles, they'll run and not be weary, walking not faint. Um, what's that got to do with predicting the future? Well, this word that gets translated um, wait is not at all the a waiting room for the doctor. You just, you know, you're waiting for something to happen. You know, you've put it out there. You're waiting for God to answer. You're waiting for... Uh, the response. You're waiting for the miracle. You're waiting for God to do something. So when I used to hear this taught a lot, it was always about being patient, wait on the Lord, and then you'll mount it with wings. And it nearly it seems counterintuitive because it's talking about activity. It's talking about flying. It's talking about running and not being weary. So the, the implication would be waiting isn't necessarily going to make you stronger. Uh, 
being patient has its place. But when you look at the original word, y'all know the Bible wasn't written in English. Um, I keep seeing this meme that says there were no white people in the Bible. There actually were some white people in the Bible, but I understand your point. I mean, there were Italians and, you know, there, there were, there were some Caucasians that were mentioned. But I understand, but your point is well taken. I understand. <laughs> um, I, I, I get the European, European creation of white Jesus. But, um, let me show you what the Hebrew word is. If we go to number two, please. It's spiders, threads, web. Uh, was that, was that everything on there? Okay. Um, What's interesting about this is um, you see words like rope, cords, threads. What's that? What's that got to do with waiting? That doesn't. That sounds like a completely different idea. But you see it there in Hebrew, Assyrian, Syrian, strand of rope. Um, this is what the writer actually means with this. You know how. Um, I was talking about this with my sons Wednesday night. You know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like in the story of Joseph, uh, you know, when Joseph's a young man, he keeps going to his brothers and telling him, I mean, I don't have siblings, but I can understand how this could really tick a sibling off. Because Joseph not only is flaunting this coat of many colors that his father has made for him, unlike his 11 brothers. Uh, so they're, you know, they're... You know, they're tired of seeing, like, we get it. Dad made you the coat. We understand. It's, you know, it, like, J Jacob wasn't even being subtle about it. it wasn't, like, he was just saying, no, he is my favorite of the 12 of y'all. He's it. Like, they're, they're not imagining it. He's like, no, he's, he's my favorite. Um, and then Joseph keeps having these dreams. Uh, one of them is that there's 11 sheaves of wheat, and they all bow down and worship one sheave. And then there's another one where... He sees 11 stars and they worship one star. And in the dream, he interprets it that this means y'all are all going to bow down and worship me. Now, again, I don't have a sibling, but I, those how many of you have a brother or sister? How many of you would not enjoy it if your sibling said to you, I keep having this dream that you're going to bow down and worship me? Most of you would be like, worship this. I'm about, yeah. <laughs> I'm about to give you something to worship. And especially if you kept saying it, you know what I mean? Like it, Joseph just kept, you know, coming back and saying, you guys, I had another dream last night. I know you, I know y'all want to hear this. They're like, actually, no, we get the point of your dreams. Please don't tell us again. And so the question is, because he aggravated his brothers and as a result, they attempted fratricide to kill him, but then, then decided to sell him into slavery, and they sell him to Ishmaelites, and then he's sold to Potiphar and uh, gets thrown into jail for two years on a false rape charge because Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was hot and she was coming on to him, and, uh, and he uh, rejected her advances, so she said that he raped her, and so Potiphar throws him into jail. And You know the story, how he meets, he meets these guys uh, men and interprets their dreams and, the, and he says if you go before Pharaoh tell him about me and then they forget about it for another two years. I mean he basically spends his entire youth in a prison in a foreign land which 
you know, if you're taking these dreams uh, literally, you know, you'd want to ask, how's that working out for you, Joseph? It doesn't look like you're on the road to your brothers worshiping you. Uh, so was it like if he hadn't been sold into slavery, he would have never become the Pharaoh of Egypt. So was it cause and effect or was that a destiny that was out there for him in the future and there's nothing he could do about it and the dreams he was having were sneak previews of a coming reality? Y'all with me? And so the answer is yes to both. It's, it's, it's parallel universes. It's like, yes, I'm making it happen, but also something's out there in the future that is calling me toward that. Now, this is where the thing with the rope comes in, because it, the implication is, is that this is what it means. There's something out in the future that is sending like a thread or a cord out to where you are and seem to be the present, and you're sending out this cord to the future. Here's your intentions, your prayers, your visions, your ideas. And so those two threads, cords, whatever, are are meeting one another and means is you're, you're creating a rope by which you can lasso the future and call it to yourself. But at the same time, the future is sending a rope and calling you out there faster than it should. It's because the, the rope is being created. And there's, there's nearly like, you ever just had, um, a few days where you were just like really gung ho with your vision and you got being proactive. And then you kind of hit the wall and something happens and there's a few days you're like, whatever. I mean, that, you know, there's just sounded so positive and full of faith and you're like, shut up, 2022 version of me. I hate you. Like, wait. Just shut up with all of that. The 2022 version of me was like, everything's coming up roses. And the 22, 23 person was like, shut up. If you only knew what was coming in 2023, you sad little naive 2022 version of me. Little did you know the, the disappointment that you were headed for. And, and that's why you see the word tension there because it's like, that's what you're feeling. It's like a tug of war with your future. There's some days where you, you got it. You're like, yes, yes, I'm going from glory to glory. My ladder's going to be greater than my former. And you've got, you know, there's no slack in the rope. And then something happens. You have a setback or something. And it just feels like it's never going to happen. And there's a, there's a, a slack in the, in the tension. And so, does that make sense? It's like you're, it's pulling you, you're pulling it. And there's some days, it's just like with a, you know, when you were a kid and played tug of war, you could pull and pull and pull and then you have to be like, whew, it's, it's too much. Um, there's scripture that it's in Psalms that talks about Joseph. And it says that, uh, like in the Hebrew, it says he was, um, Tortured's not the word. It's um, there's another word, but he was. It was saying that the his feet were in fetters because he was in a prison. But the but his but the word of the Lord had his soul in fetters. Meaning, his present reality was so contrary to what he had prophesied that he didn't even want to talk about it anymore. 
It's like this is, I don't want to hear about my glorious future. Because right now, i just like to be able to get out of prison. You know, I don't even care if my brothers worship me or not. And I'm, I'm saying that, let, let he or she who has an ear hear. If you're having some downtime with your vision, it's okay. Like, allow yourself to rest. Because at a certain point, the line will pick up again and it'll start pulling you toward the future again. Thank you. And I think that's important because sometimes you think, oh, well, I guess I've just, I've blown it. I, you know, I've given up on everything. No, you're just, there's just some slack in the rope. But the, but you have not severed the tie. The future is still out there. The future is still pulling you toward it. Um, and there's, you know, there's, um, um, ethical dilemmas you have with your future. Uh, you know, if were I to live long enough to see all of the prophecies over my life fulfilled, I mean, it would be pretty extraordinary. In reality, I'm like, okay, well, I'm 65, so if all these things are going to happen, something, you know, something should be kicking in more than it is. And on the as soon as I had that, I thought, I thought, I think maybe you don't want that. Like maybe you, like all the things that people have prophesied over you was their, them projecting, uh, onto you what, what their vision was, what they thought you should be. Maybe this is, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. I remember, uh, Avery and I used to have, b- before the pandemic, we used to have lunch every Wednesday. That was our staff meeting. We, you know, we, we check out all the, you know, make sure all the bills are paid and everything. Um, because she, she's worked for me, you know, as a ministry all these years. And, uh, you know, the first few years I kept saying, you know, once the, once the ministry really grows and kicks in, you're, you know, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to start paying you. And, uh, then I remember one day I said, every, I need to give you a heads up. This may be all it's going to be. I mean, I can't, I mean, I wish I could tell you, you know, I mean, this may be, I'm trying to give you an off ramp. This may be as good as it gets to which she, you know, of course she said, look, I'm called to you. It's like, it's not a, for me, it's not a job, but sometimes like I remember, you know, when my last book came out, I can't tell you how many people wrote to me and said, this is going to be on the New York times bestseller list. Well, I mean, it did well. But it wasn't on the New York Times bestseller list. And I, I feel like some of those people left me because they were like, you're disappointing me. You're not doing it right. You're supposed to be nationally known. Oprah hasn't called you yet. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm so sorry I'm disappointing you that I'm not fitting your agenda for my life. But uh, you have no idea the stuff I've been dealing with behind the scenes. The fact that I, like today, I, I came... Um, I don't usually drive down Ponce to come here, but today I, I drove down Ponce and passed the church where I preached my first sermon um, 52 years ago. And I looked, and there's cars parked out there, and there's a guy, you know, it's a different church now in that building. And uh, I thought, here I am at this age still driving to speak to somebody on a Sunday morning. I looked at that building and thought, I have been doing this my whole life. And just for a minute, I think it's why I hit that, nearly hit that biker. Cause just for a minute, I was like, 
Good Lord, you know, <laughs> that's that's a lot of talk. When somebody says, you repeat your stories, I'm like, you try preaching several times a week for over half a century. Let's see how creative you get with your stories. Um, actually, nobody says that to me, but that's, that's my alter ego. It's devil's advocate. But, um, uh, the, the point is, um, you know, when people have these high hopes for you, um, sometimes you, you, you nearly want to avoid them because you think, I don't know that I can be everything that you want me to be. I heard, uh, Barbara Streisand say this in an interview, um, uh, she said, because a lot of people have said that she's difficult. She couldn't be difficult because she, I mean, everybody that works for her, her, her man, manager has been her manager for like 60 something years. Like everybody, everybody in her small group of, you know, her, her bookkeeper, all, they're, they've all been with her since the early sixties. This whole thing about her being this diva that's impossible to, uh, to please, it's just not true because she's, she clearly has these long-term relationships. But in an interview, she said, I'm uncomfortable meeting people sometimes because I think they have this expectation of me because they've seen me, you know, in a, a movie that's been directed and edited or they've seen me on stage where there's lighting and good sound. And, you know, I just feel like I can't possibly live up to what you have in your head. You know, I'm just like a little, 83 year old Jewish woman, you know, uh, and you're, you're, you have a picture in your head of what you want me to be. And I just think, let me see you from afar because when I just talk to you and ask you, do you know where the restroom is? That's going to be very, <laughs> did I lose y'all? It's going to be very disappointing. Um, I used to feel that way a lot of times when people would want to spend one on one time with me after I just, done what I'm doing right now and I think I don't think I'm going to I don't think it's going to be what you think it's going to be because you just heard me at my best when I had when I was holding a microphone and the anointing was kicking in that's the best I'm going to be and you're expecting me to sit at a table and still have the same charisma and I don't have an anointing for that I don't know what to I don't know what to talk about I'm socially awkward I've spent most of my life holding a microphone like if you if you want to talk to me and you see I'm glazing over, go go to Charles and find a mic and hand it to me and stand back a few feet and it'll kick in. <laughs> but when you're when you're like actually in my space and talking, it's like y'all you, you know. I somebody that I knew very well for years, he was talking to me one day and he said, Oh my god, you just glazed over. I said, No, it did, I'm just listening. He said, No, I can tell. I was talking to you and you glazed over. I said, I don't know how to like I'm focused, like, I don't know how much more to focus. Do you know how many people I've heard from just today? So I can't, there's only so much energy you have, and you can't explain that to people. But um, uh, I have no idea how I got into all of that. But Oh, I know, I was talking about the future pulling you toward it, and you having to ask, what, what do you really want? Like, to me, honestly, I am, I am not against success, but I also know success has a certain amount of a downside to it that I have, am, frankly, have ambivalent feelings about. Um, I remember, I'm in no way equating myself to some, you know, super well-known celebrity. 
that, you know, can't go out in public. But I remember years ago when we used to be on Christian TV, you know, we were, we had a pretty well-known program. It was on the Word Network and we were in between Rod Parsley and Benny Hinn, which that was a very strange hammock. One of these things is not like the other, but they had very large audiences. And I remember there was a period of time where, um, you could, there's, you couldn't go out to eat without at least somebody walking up to the table. And, you know, for nine years, Debbie and I hosted the local TBN. So we, we were kind of, you know, seen a lot. And, uh, you know, you'd be sitting in a restaurant and you could see in your peripheral vision, people would be like, that's them. And in a minute, somebody would come to the table and it was fine. It wasn't like they were mobbing us, but like, I re- it was enough attention where you had to stop and have this conversation with somebody. That I remember, and I mean, people would follow. I don't want to get too TMI. They'd follow you in the bathroom, and you're doing your thing, and they're still trying to talk to you. Like, man, I just want to come in here and shake your hand because we watch you every week. I'm like, well, I can't shake your hand right this second, <laughs> but if you'll go outside and wait, I'll be happy to come out in a minute. I'm, this is a little awkward. That you're standing here talking to me while I'm like, this is, I really don't like you like that. If you could just kind of back up. I mean, and, but my point is, I used to think, good God, what to, if it's just on my level that intrusive, what in the world do like bona fide celebrities go through? And, and are you at peace enough with celebrity to want that? For some people, they're fine with it. Other people, you know, I've gone up to some celebrities and asked for a, a photo with them, and they were like, "No, I'm," you know, "I'm," t-. and and I understand why. That's why uh, this this last time we were in um, uh, New York, Ken couldn't think of his name. I was over there buying. We were in Bloomingdale's, and I was buying a sweater, and he came over to me and said, "There's a guy over there. He's a famous comedian. I can't think of his name, but that's definitely him." So I looked and I said, "Oh my God, that's Tracy Morgan." I love Tracy Morgan. He used to be on Saturday Night Live and on 30 Rock. And, uh, but I didn't want to run right over to him because he's there with his wife and his daughter. And uh, so from very far away, you know, he looked and he could tell we were both staring at him. And, and, and I went, and he did all that. And I said, like I was very, very careful to say, like, I'm not getting in your space, but. Those of you who listen to the podcast, I'm mouthing, can we take a picture? And he did. It was super nice. It took a picture with both of us and introduced us to his family, whatever. But I also wanted to be very aware that probably several people today have already recognized him and they're just trying to, you know, they just may be in here trying to buy underwear. Um, and, and so, um, with all success comes extra responsibility and people have to figure out their own way to deal with it but the point is is sometimes what you think you want maybe not what maybe really not what you really want um you think about some of the things you wanted in your life that you didn't get and later after you got some perspective you're like thank god that prayer wasn't answered because that's now that it turns out that's not what i wanted um Sometimes you gotta really connect with, you know, what does spirit want? What is the right thing? Where's the green light? Where's the, 
because if I go to this next level, there's going to be something with it that's going to have extra responsibility. And I may be ready for it. I may not be. Am I going to be ready for it? I don't know. And if you don't know, there might be a reason why, you know, it's sometimes the, the future is pulled closer to you and sometimes you're pulled closer to the future. That's why it seems like it's nearly going to manifest and then it doesn't. It's because there's tension on the road. Y'all with me? All right. But here, this is Ecclesiastes. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 is, it's where it starts. The first eight verses is, to everything there's a season, a time to, you know, laugh, a time to cry, a time to weep, a time to dance. It's a, it's a beautiful passage. Uh, this is what verse 11 says in the, that was his life goal. And once she wasn't here, there was just no reason for him to be here. She, she moves in and she becomes his caretaker. And so uh, what she said, and I thought this was pretty insightful. She said, my dad was ready to go a few years ago. But she said, when he saw that I was taking care of a, a man who was dying of cancer, she said, I, I know he just decided I can't, I can't leave until I see you through this. And I knew, I knew that was true. Knowing Bo as well as I did, I thought that's, you know what, that resonates. So he held it together. You know, Shannon passed away in August and he told Debbie on her birthday, he said, he said, I see that you're okay now. Uh, he said, I'm going to, he said, I'm ready to be free and I'm going to be out of here by September 12th. And he went about three days before that. And, um, I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. And his funeral, it wasn't, it didn't feel sad because I thought, well, he's mission accomplished. You know what I mean? Like he did what he wanted to do and he went in his time and said, I'm going to go at such and such time. I thought, that's actually, that's pretty cool. So I thought, you know, Everything's beautiful in its time. If you've ever lost a loved one who's really suffering, you're brokenhearted that they're gone, but you're so relieved they're not suffering anymore. Like when you see there's no way they're not going to get better from this, you know, you just want to let them go and say, I, yes, I don't, I, of course I don't want to lose you. And you don't really lose them, but you know what I mean. Of course, of course I want you to stay in the physical realm. But I don't want you to keep going through this because I, I know how exhausted I am. I can't imagine what it must be like for you. And that's a hard thing. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, you lose somebody in the, you know, the next day you're like, la, la, la. Like you're never fully free of somebody. I mean, you always, and, um, uh, the one thing, and I, you know, I have widows and widowers here. So y'all know what I'm talking about. It's especially strange for people who lose a spouse. In, in death or what we perceive as death because you're not mad at them. You, it's not like, you know, like with the divorce, you're like, I don't want ever hear that man's name again. But when it's somebody <laughs> who passes away, you're like, well, I, I'm still married. I didn't get a, I didn't divorce them. I still feel married to them. It's really, it's very, I hope y'all, some of y'all don't mind me talking about this because I know you, this, for some of you, this is really fresh, but it's, isn't that true? I mean, don't you still feel like it's hard for me to think about another relationship because I'm, you know, I, I go through this with my mom all the time. I don't know if she's watching today, and I don't think she can find us on YouTube. But, um, you know, it's been a real struggle for her because trying to figure out what to do with her life now. And I've said to her, I said, Mom, if you could find some nice older gentleman that you could have a life with, believe me, I'd be all about it. 
It's just at your age, if you meet somebody in your age group, you're gonna, it's gonna be somebody you gotta take care of. And she says, well, I don't want to take care of anybody. I want to, I want like a, I want like a handsome young doctor to move in the house and hold my hand on it. I said, that's, that sounds great. It's a great fantasy, but what would be in it for him? Like why, why would a hot young doctor want to come in here and take care of an 85 year old woman? I mean, like why would, you know, I know you don't think of yourself that way, but you are. And so you got to, you know, she says, well, I don't want some old man. I said, well, but I know, but, but you're old. <laughs> That's why I know I'm, I'm, I'm being way too real today, but you know, there's some, there's some reality checks you have as you get older. I was, I was, I was thinking about this the other day because when I, um, when I first came out, I wasn't being promiscuous or anything, but I was typical for me to be, I'd just be like at Starbucks or something, and some guy would come over and start talking to me, and, you know, sometimes we'd go have dinner or whatever. I mean, I wasn't, like, hopping into bed with him, but, but I mean, it happened quite a bit. I remember walking into a place one time, and a group of young guys walked by, and I heard one of them say, man, did you see that guy? He's really hot. And I, I turned around and I said, are y'all talking about me? And they said, oh, I didn't know you heard me. Sorry. I said, uh, no, thank you. That totally made my day. I appreciate it. But now that was 13 years ago. I mean, I don't think I look that different, but now, and I, maybe I was just sending out a different vibe before I met Ken, but that doesn't happen now. I mean, I, mean, I can tell you, now at Starbucks, I see somebody, I'm like, What's up? they just get, <laughs> that's that reality check where you're like, well, I had my little season where I was all that. Now I'm just like, Better be happy that somebody wants to still live with me. Because I remember there was just, I know this is way TMI, but there was a little bit of a season where I thought, you know what? I guess I'm all that. Now I'm like, were you looking at me? Like, no, I was trying to wave to the person. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have to worry about cheating, you know, because I'm like, no, it's... I don't think that option is available. So, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, there's certain things that are just realistically, you know, as you get older, you're like, hey, I heard some, uh, comedian who, uh, got, she'd been single for years, then finally got married. And she said, this is basically what marriage is, is finding somebody who can stand you. <laughs> She says, I know that, I know that doesn't sound really romantic, but it's basically, at the end of the day, somebody who finally knows all of your stuff after the, you finally unpack the crazy and they've seen, you know, they, they've seen like, this is as good as it's going to get. And they're like, hmm, okay, I'll stay. And you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, I also heard, since, yeah, now y'all got me uncorked. Uh, y'all know who George Stephanopoulos is? Um, young, uh, not young, but handsome Greek guy that's a news guy. And his wife is that, uh, she's that comedian, Allie Wentworth. She's very funny. And she's, I was hearing her in an interview. I've offended Eddie, Eddie's leaving. <laughs> I'm old. I got old. <laughs> 
This is TMI Sunday. Bless him, Lord. <laughs> we didn't need to know all that. <laughs> but anyway, she was saying that, you know, he gets up every morning and works out and he's in incredible shape and he keeps making on these lists of the hundred most beautiful people at ever. And she's, I'm never on that list. She's that every time I see he's on the list, I'm like, I gotta bring, I gotta, you know, bring my A game. And she says, one day I was laying in bed and I didn't have, I really didn't have clothes on. And she says, I was just looking at myself and he was up exercising and she looked and she said, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry for this. And she said, so he just stared at me for a second and said, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like he said, no, you're the most beautiful creature. He's like, yeah, it's all right. I've made peace with it. <laughs> anyway, he has made everything beautiful. It's time. He also went through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy, yet so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, what does that mean? You know, there's another scripture that's in, um, that says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to, re to reveal them, to uncover them. And um, so when it says, he's planted eternity in your heart, this is how I interpret this is that your life path is supposed to be seen as an adventure. Like, what? why am I here? What was I born for? If I chose to be born for, why did I choose, why did I choose this life? Why did, I, why did I sign up for this? And the same way that like a detective would look for clues, you start looking for signposts along the way to show you this is, this is your destiny. This is how your... Uh, you know, this is what you're looking for all along. And um, I, I love that idea that when you are in your, um, the thing you're supposed to do, when you're in your, when you're comfortable in your skin, when you're doing the thing that only you can do, that's when you feel the, really the most righteous. If you, the righteous, means rightness. It's where you feel the rightest, if I can coin a phrase, about yourself. By the same token, if you're like David trying to wear Saul's armor, you feel out like this isn't right. This, I'm, I'm walking in somebody else's anointing and I, I, have to do what's, I have to do what's right for me. Now, the verse that we're talking about that day is four verses down. This is Ecclesiastes. Like, the, the eternal mind, the God mind, the divine mind already knows all of those possibilities. Like back in the day, I don't think they sell DVDs of movies as much as they used to, but when, when DVD sales was really at its, you know, at its zenith, um, you would, especially if it was a prestige movie, they would, uh, they would show you a director's cut and it would have alternate endings. It's like, this is the way the movie ended, but here's also, the way, you know, this is the way they originally shot it and decided to change so that you could see, oh, wow, that's very different how that turned out. Sometimes when you read a novel that's made into a movie, you think, wow, that, 
they really took some license with that. That's, that's not the way the book was. And then you'll see, well, they actually shot it that way, but people didn't like that that's the way it was. And, and so the, the director or the producer changed it for whatever reason. So this, when it says history repeats itself, what I believe that means is whatever is going to happen in some dimension already has happened. You ever have that sense of deja vu? It's like, wow, that just feels familiar. It may be because on some cyclical reality, you did already live that. And it, that's why it does feel very familiar to you. And sometimes I see it as a clue, you know, like in the movie Groundhog Day, where the, the day just kept repeating till he finally got it right. I think sometimes a thing is cyclical in your life, history repeats itself, so that you have a chance now to do better than you did the last time. You know, mistakes you made in a previous relationship, you should learn, oh, I won't do that this time. You know? you know, There was one relationship where you just told them everything. And sometimes it backfired on you. And, and you know, But you get the next relationship, you're like, Bible says a fool speaks his whole mind. <laughs> I, ain't got to, I ain't got to tell everything. Stop pointing out how bad you think you look. Uh, even though I just told you that. I'm, I'm, I still look alright, but I'm just I can tell you it definitely is different now than it was 13 years ago. It just is. I mean, that, and 13 years is a, Anywho, <laughs> oh my God! Yes, it is true. All right, let's let's wrap this up. Love this quote by this guy, Robin Sharma. Big idea. Your days are your life in miniature. I so believe this. As you live your hours, so you create your years. As you live your days, so you create or so you craft your life. What you do today is actually creating your future. The words you speak, the thoughts you think, the food you eat, and the actions you take are giant consequences over time. There's no such thing as an unimportant day. If I didn't tell you anything else today, that was worth you driving here for. Because what he's saying is, is every day of your life is a day in microcosm. Even the fact that you woke up this morning is a symbol that Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know what I mean? That like, in a sense, you could say that every night when you go to sleep, it's like a death, and every morning when you wake up, it's a resurrection. And it's a, it's a new day with a new possibility. And so every day becomes like a miniature of your entire life. That's why every day is important. That's why every word you speak in every day, every thought you think, uh, all the gratitude that you can express, all of it is important because what you do today is determining what's going to happen tomorrow. And then let's, let's wrap this up. Two more quotes. Responsibility of consciously creating the future they want. Let me tell you something. If you are going to create the life you want, you also have to know that you're going to have to, like curating something means that you throw away things that you don't want. And 
um, like for instance, if, if you're, if you believe that you're, like I've had to come to terms with this myself. Like if, if my message is considered by some religious people to be provocative, then that's an, that's a, a choice that I've made. I forfeit the right to complain about it when fundamentalists don't get it. Do you understand? Because like, I'm, in a sense, I'm asking for it. You know, if I get up and say, hell's not real. Well, people that really build their theology on the concept of heaven and hell, of course that's going to be problematic for them. So if you're going to set yourself up as a provoker, which is what provocative means, then you can't be upset that people get provoked. Of course they think that. I, I thought of it yesterday as I, I passed by the uh, where church that I used to be. Right now, the the tr we had to put so many trees on that property, but and they've gotten bigger. So in the in the summertime, you can you nearly can't see it from I twenty. And um, uh, I remember one day it was right in the middle of just getting so much flack from other ministers in town, and they were they're just impossible to get along with. And uh, one day I was riding I was riding by the property. I looked at it. And I thought, you know, it really does. Look like for people that think a church is something with a steeple. It's like I kind of saw it through their eyes, and I thought, no wonder this disorients people who have no idea where I'm coming from. And this is this is long before I told them the whole story. Uh, if y'all are provoked now, wait till you hear the wait till that other shoe drops. <laughs> That's gonna really mess with your head. But it's like it, it kind of gave me a sense of compassion for them. Like I thought, well, if, of course they would see me that way. Of course they. Yeah, I, I I get it, and um, uh, if you're going to create a particular future and go a particular way, you also have to know not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to be cool with it. Not everybody's going to be on the same page with you. That's why you have to, you know, I have a tendency to not use the phrase find your tribe that much because I think there's frankly, too much tribalism in our world right now. Having said that, I do think you have to find the people that kind of flow with you and and get you and understand you and reflect your values uh, so that you have, a, you know, confirmation in the mouth of truth or witnesses, every word's established. And then um, finally, but in ourselves. And that's, that's a very simple concept, but... I would go so far as to say it's not even in God's hands. It's, you know, it, it's in your hands. Like, let us make people in our image and let them have dominion. Let them, let them have dominion over their own destiny. You do have the power of choice. I mean, even for people that believe in, you know, fundamental ideas of Christianity, heaven versus hell, whatever, even that involves choice in your decision. Uh, however, you're going to re respond to the gospel. So, I just want to keep uh, this in front of us all this month to say you're you can't just totally put it in neutral and say whatever's going to happen is going to happen because you got to do stuff for stuff to happen. Um, I mean, you have to pay bills. You have to, you know, you have there's things you have to do. Uh, so if you just say, I'm not going to do anything, whatever's, if it's the Lord's will, it's going to happen. Well, that's, that's not a good idea. 
If it's the Lord's will, money will come in. I'm going to prophesy to you. Money's not coming. There's something you have to do to activate. There's a stimulus that has to happen for other things to happen. Everything is cause and effect. So if you just say, I'm just going to go with the flow, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, I wouldn't say that, I don't think that's a good way to run your life. That being said, micromanaging everything and constantly setting yourself up for a series of disappointments, I think is the, the polar opposite of that, and both polarities are dangerous. I mean, you got to have some, um, for lack of a better term, wiggle room in your vision of things to say, this is basically how I want it to be, but you know, if there's some revisions to it, that's fine too. And if you're a real visionary, that can be a downside. You know, you you visualize a thing is supposed to go a certain way, and sometimes it just doesn't. And so you've got to learn to be cool with that and not make you not let it make you just throw in the towel and say, Well, I clearly have no control over everything. Yes, you you have control honestly, you have control over most of it. Um and you know, on days like today, we all need that spiritual vitamin B12 shot, you know, because it's easy to say, you know, I've already been doing this for a long time. I'm not sure how much control I have over that. Yeah, you still, you definitely do. Don't ever think that you're not in the driver's seat because you are, regardless of what a doctor says, regardless of uh, what you think's going on in your finances, whatever's going on in your relationships. You, if you still have some time that you want to live, you have to stay in the driver's seat. I mean, you just have to. And you have to keep, you know, if you don't, you know how, um, it's amazing to me how it happens, but have you ever, you ever seen like a house on your block that's uninhabited for a while, like it's, it's on the market for a long time? It's crazy how fast a beautiful home will just start deteriorating without somebody living in it you know, you don't realize when you're in the house how much you're doing just regular maintenance, just keeping a house alive. And when you see people move out of it and it stays vacant for a while, a house starts dying. It starts falling apart. And um, that's the way your life is. If you just say, I'm just, I'm just not going to try to make stuff happen anymore. I'm not going to have any more goals or dreams or visions. That, well, then you're, the house is going to start dying. You've got to, you have to, even if the mortgage, I'm, let me take this metaphor further. The mortgage is paid, whatever. You still got to keep it painted, and you know if the shutters blow off during a storm, you got to put them back on. And you can't just say, "This is my house; it is what it is." No, it, it is what you will make it, and that's it. That is a continual symbol of the way your life is. And I, I have met people. I, I meet a lot of people, even in my age group, that I can tell they've vacated the premises, like they're. Totally. They're not home anymore. And that's why, you know, if you have people in your life to live for and connect with, that's very important. Or to have a goal or to have friendships or to have people who make you want to stay in the game. Because if you're going to be here, you might as well be here. There's, there's nothing worse than being stuck in one dimension where you think, I don't even want to be here anymore. That's not, that, you can't live that way. That's not the way life is. And, that's not the way the people who love you who have gone on would want you to live. There is still life. And I believe that up until the last moment. When somebody says to me, you know, how long, 
How long do you believe for a miracle of somebody? Like, you know, until they take their last breath, you've got to hope against hope. If, if they want to live, sometimes they, sometimes they don't want to. And uh, you have to honor that request. And then if, if that doesn't happen the way you want it, you still have to take inventory of your life and say, all right, what is, what is my life now? And is there still value to it? And the thing is, it's, it's an amazing thing that you got here. You know, I know y'all are all adults and you know the facts of life, but you know, at conception, there are millions of sperm cells that are released. And it's weird if you've ever seen it under a microscope, they have like little personalities. They're like fighting with one another. They, they literally fight to uh, penetrate the egg. And um, millions of them die. When you read the actual statistics, it's it's a trip that anybody got born. Some, somebody must be getting busy all the time. The fact that so many people are still born because it completely defies the odds. Oh, is this too adult for y'all? Like, Ooh, clutch the pearls. I mean, he's talking about sex. Y'all know where babies come from. But the fact, if you've ever read about the, just the, the, the sheer fact that there was a you might not have ever known who your daddy was, but there was a sperm cell that had your DNA, uh, on, you know, tattooed on it, or however you want to say it, and it made it, and that you and that your bio mom went the distance and and gave you birth, and then you think, I mean, it, the very fact that you got born means you came in a champion, you you beat all the odds. And then you think about all the crazy stuff you did as a child. How many cars you ran out in front of and roofs you jumped off of and, you know, crazy stuff that you think, well, you heard in, in, uh, Wellington's, uh, good God, Wellington's, I think he's making half of that up. He's like, and then when I was seven, a car ran over me. And then when I was eight, a steamroller backed over me. And then an alligator ate me when I was 12. And I'm still here. I'm like, wow, Wellington, that's, I don't know. I love you and all, but you're, that's, that sounds pretty amazing. But the fact that, of course I believe it. But you know, the, you think about how many things you survived as a child, some of which your parents don't know anything about. I mean, stuff that, like, dear God, there's stupid stuff that kids do that parents never know about. And, you know, having knife fights with each other and all kind of stuff that, and, uh, the fact that you made it this far means there is something incumbent upon you that's like, be a good steward of that. Cause it would really just be disappointing to have survived as much as you've survived and then just vacate the premises now. You know, as long as you are here, as long as your heart is beating, as long as you are still living, you should live, you should want to live, you should want every day to be uh, important. And, you know, take this thing as far as you can. You know, li live to the fullest and uh, and make a difference and leave a legacy and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to put a comma there. And uh, we'll finish it up uh, uh, next week. Did you want anything out of this? Let's all stand, please.
What'd you get out of it? Tell me what's anybody have anything that registered or resonated with you? top that one uh, on that note let's play the outro please and i'll speak a blessing <laughs> contributing to metron is quick quick and easy you can give any time using any any time text the amount you'd like to donate 404-620-5044 you will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation you may also visit visionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well when you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. If you have a check, just make it the JESM and um, give it to somebody over there. They'll take it. <laughs> if you have cash, pay it forward. Give it to Eddie. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Uh, I say that you have the mind of Christ to know how to create your future, to curate your life, to make the most of every day, to make every day count, to fill your days with something that is positive, full of gratitude, that you are a blessing to humanity, and that's why you're here. And that as long as you are here, you will continue to salt the earth and light the world. Uh, I say that you are a, still a visionary, your young men dream dreams, your old men, your young men see visions, your old men dream dreams. And that you're, whatever you are in that spectrum, that you continue to have visions and dreams, that there is still more potential inside of you and that you speak that into existence. And you wake up tomorrow saying, this is the day the Lord has, has enabled me to make. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for being here. Yeah.